Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Um, My guest today is Oliver Ryder, PhD. Well, he is the Clayberg Endowed Director of Conservation Genetics at the uh, San Diego Zoo. And we're going to be talking about uh, plans to build a genetic Noah's Ark that would have uh, 66,000 plus species. So, Oliver, thanks for coming. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks, Richard. Yeah, tell me a little bit about um, your work. How did this idea come about for this uh, genetic arc? Well, the impetus for it was really to use uh, advancing technologies to aid in the conservation of endangered species. And it's only been about 60 or more years, uh, around 60 years, that it's been possible to grow cells um, from an animal uh, outside of the body to grow them in the lab and freeze them and revive them so that they can carry out their function. And this provided immediately some advances, significant advances in in scientific studies and in understanding the evolution of life, being able to study chromosomes and identify in humans and other species that errors in in the transmission of chromosomes, uh, errors that take place across generations cause uh, uh, diseases and uh, cause uh, problems for individuals. So um, in that background of this technology, half a century ago, uh, when the San Diego Zoo started its uh, research effort focused on uh, helping to conserve endangered species, the founder of that effort, a physician uh, named uh, Kurt Benershka, Uh, brought with him from the medical school at the University of California this technology and started what he called the frozen zoo. And so over the years, uh, this collection has grown to be probably the largest, most diverse, best characterized, and most utilized collection of its kind. And although it has all of those uh, attributes and accolades, um, it, and it contains the cells of 10,000 individual uh, vertebrates, animals with backbones, um, so fishes, reptiles, amphibians, birds, and mammals. There's uh, approximately 1,200 species, but there are um, over 60,000 species of vertebrates. Now we realize that there's never going to be a time when we could collect more samples, more biodiversity than now, because we're seeing an an increase in the loss of species and the declines in their numbers. And also technology has arisen that has where, so having access to these kinds of uh, living materials from animals can contribute substantively to studies uh, that benefit their conservation. What about the, um, you know, the study of their attendant microbiomes, their viromes, fungi, all those things. I mean, just that are, you know, associated with those species alone that you're cataloging. Then all the omics, 
you've got maybe genetic material, but I mean, it, I know it's a monstrous undertaking, but is there any thought to gathering that info afterwards? Sure, we think about that. And uh, you're right, it is a monstrous undertaking. And the, um, you know, our, we hope that these efforts uh, can expand, but uh, certainly, uh, it would be a priority to expand the number of uh, species for which we have viable cell cultures frozen. And um, so the priority is to expand efforts uh, so that other facilities like the ones that we have at San Diego Zoo Global uh, exist in other countries and in other regions of the world so that there would be a broader catalog of uh, species that could be uh, that could be saved and uh, could be studied. The microbiome, of course, is very important. We understand how that influences animals, and we are uh, there's a, there's a call and there's an effort to have a global microbiome. Um, but that's another complicated uh, uh, undertaking. And um, we'll be, we're going to be happy to contribute to that. But probably our biggest contribution is going to be this bank of, of living cells. That includes also uh, reproductive tissues and cells. Okay. So you're not just taking the, uh, the DNA, but you're taking the entire cell. And yes. you're taking some of their, um, their gametes, their, um, not their somatic cells, but their, uh, the cells that produce egg and sperm. Yes, we have the, the living cells that we can replicate. The gametes uh, you know, need to be used for fertilization. They don't divide until they produce an animal uh, or a zygote. And um, so, uh, so this is uh, a, you know, a unified kind of, of effort. And it's, we feel confident that this will benefit the future and that as more is being learned and greater uses can be made of these cells to save species, it makes very good sense to collect more samples and bank more samples now. Are there going to be a few anchor species that you're going to get a lot more data on than others? Um, yes, for now, uh, because we can, historically, we had, you know, we've collected samples from um, San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park and other uh, zoological institutions. Hundreds of facilities have sent samples to us for us to bank. And, um, but we've focused on cells that are high priority species conservation. So some of these are species that were uh, uh, extinct in the wild and were uh, saved from extinction by zoos. So a species like the Pshavalsky's horse or the Arabian orcs or the black-footed ferret or the California condor or the Hawaiian crow or alala, all of these are, are special targets. But now, uh, increasingly, we see the need to integrate efforts to save species in natural habitats with those to, that are preserving wildlife um, in human care. Uh, like what we're like what zoos are doing, and integrating these efforts because as uh, species become more endangered, gene pools are shrinking to uh, uh, gene puddles, and that threatens the uh, future prospects of a population, which for us underscores the need to really be doing more banking now. 
So how far along is the project? How many samples do you have and how many more to go and over what time period? Well, we have samples from 10,000 individual animals and it's about 1,200 species and subspecies. Um, it's richest in mammals and among the mammals, it's richest in hoofed mammals and in uh, primates and in carnivores. Um, uh, but it's got a broad uh, genetic uh, diversity. So the future is that, you know, we want to uh, continue to collect this kind of material, but probably our greatest impact can be to help foster the uh, development of facilities around the world to share our techniques and to encourage others and to establish a global database about what samples have been saved from what species um, so that we can keep track of this. How will scientists get access to the database? Do they make a special request and pay a fee and then, you know, some of the cells are cloned and then given to scientists or how will this be utilized? Well, you know, we do uh, thaw the cells and expand them. So then we can, it's a renewable resource. So it can be, uh, it's, it's, uh, but it can be uh, greatly expanded. It can't be expanded infinitely because um, cells in tissue culture undergo uh, aging or senescence. But by carefully, by freezing cells, when we have millions of them at uh, early stages, and then managing the way that we uh, expand those cell cultures, we can provide a great deal of material. And now it's possible for some species uh, to make uh, induced pluripotent stem cells from these kinds of cells, so that these are cells that can make any kind of cell in the body, and they are immortal. So we are uh, working on developing that technology as well. We have a process that reviews uh, applications, so scientists uh, contact us and uh, ask for access, and we are happy to, uh, we receive those and uh, applications and uh, review them and try to fill as many as we can. What, what have you learned in the, the gathering of the samples, things that you didn't know or were unexpected well, the collection of samples in the frozen zoo has helped really inform um, several big projects. One is the tree of life, the relationships uh, between animals um, using whole genome sequencing and cells uh, such as we have banked and uh, in the frozen zoo and tissues uh, that we can bank uh, from uh, animals as part as the time we're getting some of the samples from frozen zoo can um, be used for producing very high quality genome sequences. And by comparing the genome sequences, um, great insights have been gained into uh, evolutionary uh, relationships. For example, the, the understanding that whales and are, are, are derived from or have a common ancestor with cattle or hippopotamuses and that um, the uh, elephant is uh, related to the, the uh, manatee and to creatures that to which it does it appear has very little similarity now but we can trace their ancestry through DNA so that's really informed the, the tree of, of our knowledge of the of the tree of life um, in other cases, uh, 
the uh, being able to produce these genomes allows us to understand something about the extinction risk of animals. And this is a very active area of research right now, how the uh, small population effects uh, have produced accumulation of deleterious mutations. And so we can identify and also to um, identify uh, the uh, genetic heritable diseases, genetic diseases in endangered species, so that these can be better understood and, and managed and used to provide better health care and prevent extinctions. How many of these uh, species have been not been sequenced before? Are, they, are most of them novel? Yes, I think that, I mean, right from the very beginning, uh, after the human genome was sequenced, uh, the, the genomics community realized that to really reap the benefits of having produced a human genome uh, that had to be placed in the context of the species with which humans are related, to which humans are related. So um, originally there were, there were uh, 29 other mammals besides, besides humans that were sequenced and the frozen zoo helped contribute samples to those. And then there was a uh, project called the Genome 10K to uh, sequence the genomes of 10,000 vertebrate animals. And um, there have been now about uh, 300 or 400, the count keeps going up, mammals that are sequenced. And you might think that that's a long way from 10,000, but we see how rapidly the technology is developing and and its utility. And so the idea now is to sequence all of the 60 to 70,000 vertebrate species in a project that's the uh, Genome 10K has morphed into a vertebrate genome project. Yeah, you can see correlations. You could further elucidate, you know, lineage. Um, I mean, you can look for the appearance of endogenized viruses and track them. I mean, you should be able to see a lot once you get, uh, you know, a whole bunch of these sequences and analyze them. Right. And uh, there's a... Uh, uh, work that's going on that's um, about to be shared through scientific publications that has to do with having taking uh, several hundred, 247, I think it is, mammal species whose genomes uh, have been uh, elucidated and lining them up to see what features are in common and what features are different across, uh, ver- across the tree of life of the uh, placental mammals. And that's providing very interesting insights into uh, diseases, uh, human disease uh, risk or human disease assessment, but also to uh, conservation um, activities um, to learn more about populations of endangered species. Once you have a reference genome, then to be able to do uh, studies of, of more individuals and and get a kind of an understanding of this genetic structure of populations and the uh, and, and interaction, the migration and uh, between isolated population fragments and, and whether which subpopulations harbor more genetic diversity. Well, as, um, because you're helping to run the project, when a lab wants to use the data, are they agreeing also to share the results with you? Like, will you be privy to see all the, the research that comes of this, you know, first? Well, we are uh, pretty. Uh, we're you know we're 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 participating in the in the broad call of many scientists to make this div- data immediately available to the larger community. So we are are part of a consortia that that make that are committed to to sharing 
uh, this kind of information rapidly because there's much more information there than any one team can analyze and it's going to benefit broad segments of society. Uh, so um, it needs to be out there and, and shared. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one of our, our commitments. But, you know, what if you did a series of regular publications, almost like meta analyses of everything that's come out of, you know, your data, you know, oh, this year, this is what's come out this year. This is what's come out or every six months or so. It, it might be nice for, you know, for you guys to do a publication based on what's being used and how and what's being looked into. Well, we'd love to track that, but it's uh, it turns out that it's 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 not uh, not very easy because people may publish the data and not say where they got the sample from, and um, uh, and they may publish the data and we don't know about it. So so that's um, but there's no there's no doubt that that we can track through, for example, GenBank. Uh, there's thousands of hits. Uh, for San Diego Zoo is a source of samples, and there's hundreds of species that 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 the DNA uh, that provided for a study uh, came from us. So I think it's sort of remarkable that uh, a a nonprofit zoo has contributed so fundamentally to this explosion of knowledge in the field of genomics. Mm, yeah, it'll be interesting if you. Um when you're done, or even now, you create a virtual zoo, you know, as I look through the samples, let's say, you know, a video comes up of the animal itself, and I can literally see, oh, wow, the sequences for a black-footed ferret, look at it. You know, that might, that might be another level of data that's missing if you don't have that, you know? Well, we're trying, I mean, that's, you know, that's, we're thinking about, and that's sort of a backfilling uh, kind of uh, exercise, and, um, there are uh, other databases that uh, keep track of animals and at the global scale, integrating all of these heterogeneous databases becomes one of the dig- big data um, opportunities and challenges of our time. Yeah, yeah. I just think that'd be really cool to have literally because you're a zoo, you know, do also a, uh, a virtual zoo like that. You know, we could look through things. So. Very cool. We, we so, and other people are working on things like that. Yeah, yeah. What's, what's your estimated time for it to get to the next 10,000 and then to get to all 66,000? I, I think it's going to take a while. <laughs> you know, if you look and find out, uh, you know, for, for all of these named species, some of them, a significant number of them have, you know, were, were collected uh, very few times. And if you, you know, and if you went out to try to find them, um, it could take a long, long time. It'd be prohibitively expensive. So uh, the idea is to sort of take, you know, start on the things that are the easiest to get a hold of and encourage, you know, efforts. But, you know, all around the world today, there are wildlife scientists and, and forensic biologists and law enforcement officers, uh, people who are, have their hands on animals that could collect a sample. And if there was a, you know, a better, if there was a, 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 a network in place that was ready to receive samples from, uh, from, you know, rare opportunities to obtain uh, a specimen from an animal, um, then we could make a lot more, a lot more progress. I think that, you know, the, the way that we've been building the frozen zoo is adding 300 to 400 new species a year. So, 
that's going to take a long time to get to 60,000. That's why we need to have more people um, involved. And it'll be very tough for fishes because uh, some, some, of, some fishes have been collected only rarely. And, and it's a big, the ocean is a big place. Um, how many of each uh, creature or species or subspecies is enough to have? How many different examples? Well, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, we would like to have, you know, more is better, basically, but we have a limited amount of, we have a limited capacity to process samples. So we look at something around, you know, 20 to 50 individuals. It depends if they're related. And it depends if it's a species of, of that, we're, that we're really focused on for some species where we have um, basically the entire gene pool of a species, um, we, we want to be sure that we collect that. Where we have the, for species where we have the opportunity to collect the entire gene pool, we should be able to do that. For other species, we might want to have a representative, uh, exa- you know, re- representative examples. But, um, you know, f- uh, if we want to use these samples for genetic rescue, we want to be sure that that we could reconstitute as much as possible of the genetic diversity of a species that's on the brink of extinction. Yeah, this seems like a, a very important fundraising type thing. You know, I would, I mean, I don't know if you're doing this, but I would say like if you put out a call to action, you know, we need funding, and you know, if you pay for sequencing of a particular creature, then you get some kind of I don't know name recognition or bonus, and maybe people would like that if they could say, you know what. I really want to sequence dolphins. And so they fund you and you go after dolphins and someone else likes ferrets or, you know, whales or whatever it is. That might be a nice way to, to fundraise and get people really into it for particular well, types. I think that's, I think that's a good suggestion. And I think that we want to try to uh, have this become more a process of global ownership and a broad recognition of the importance of undertaking this kind of work and having um, supporters for it. So we do have a wildlife conservancy uh, that people can uh, donate to. And a portion of that money goes to uh, efforts that uh, we use to save particular species. And and that includes banking specimens from that. And when we look at our conservation projects, we look at the full spectrum of conservation, preserving habitat for the species, mitigating against the causes of its decline, but also trying to bank specimens so that uh, we would have uh, important resources for uh, contributing to the recovery of species that are in decline. Are there any particular ones that, um, I don't know, it would be easy to get funding for and other ones maybe that aren't cute or, or weird or scary that no one really cares about that would be difficult to get funding for? Well, it, it's really complicated, Richard. Um, uh, there are people, many people love um, tigers, and so uh, we can get tigers from zoos, um, but there, uh, and many people love rhinos, and we can get rhinos from zoos, but some, there's one species of rhino, the Javan rhino, that, that none of them are in zoos, and nobody has ever collected a sample from them. There's no cell cultures from Javan rhinos. And people are very attracted to and allured to the great apes, but uh, like gorillas, but we don't want to uh, harm them or harass them. So how can we uh, get the samples from um, gorillas in the wild? Um, that's really 
uh, precluded at this point. So the targets of opportunity have uh, an interface between um, scientific interest, popular interest, ethical considerations, uh, you know, which are a huge component of our work. And, um, and then, uh, you know, being able to export those samples to a laboratory, numerous details. Well, very good. What's the best way people can find out more and donate and, uh, you know, see what's, what's left on the list to, uh, to sequence? Well, thanks. We have a website that's uh, institute.sandiegozoo.org. And uh, there you can find out about our conservation effort and look to see uh, about our uh, frozen zoo and other projects we have for conserving endangered species. Well, very good, Oliver. Thank you for coming on the podcast. And what you're doing is really important. So I hope that uh, you guys get some real kick-ass marketing and get these sequences going and you know, as soon as possible. So I'm glad you're, you're doing what you're doing. Thanks for your interest, Richard. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.